At this time, I'm going to uh, welcome all the children. All the children are dismissed for Children's Church. So if you're ages all the way up through grade four, you are able to go on out to Children's Church, find your teacher. Uh, the teachers out there will lead you where you need to be. Um, also, I'm going to invite Quinn Sloan to come forward. Quinn will be bringing the word today. Uh, Quinn just arrived in June from Westminster in California. Um, and so we are glad to have him. He'll be starting Reform University Fellowship here on the University of Kansas. Um, and so we are glad to have him and, and Emily and their little girl with us. So I'm going to turn it over to Quinn and he can um, bring the word. Well, good morning. My name is Quinn Sloan. It's so good to be here with you all. I am the new RUF guy at the University of Kansas. Uh, my wife, Emily, daughter Peyton, and I moved here like a month and a half ago or something. Let me just say real quickly, uh, thank you so much for your welcoming of us. We feel so blessed to be at Grace. We just feel like Grace is our church family, so thank you for that. Uh, it's my honor and privilege to open up God's word with you this morning. Our text this morning is Psalm 54. Psalm 54. Over this last year, I've spent a lot of time studying and reflecting on Psalm 54, and I think it's really sweet and encouraging. I think it's, I think it's a sweet psalm for us today. Psalm 54. The word of the Lord reads this way. O oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. And we all say together, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let's pray. Merciful Father, we are able to approach your throne boldly, not because of anything we have in ourselves, but solely because of the work of Christ for us and his work as our intercessor. Thank you for your word. In it, you teach us about yourself. Grant us the spirit of enlightenment, that the Holy Spirit would work in us, teaching us and making us more like your son. We pray that you would prepare our hearts this morning. Use me as an instrument for your purposes. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As I was prepping for this sermon, I thought a lot about this college class I took on journalism. You see, one of the first rules of journalism is to ask open-ended questions. Instead of asking, were you excited when you made that game-winning interception or was it scary when you saw that car accident happen? It's, it's much better to ask, what were you thinking? Or how were you feeling when this thing happened? Actually, this would be a really helpful question to ask anyone in history. Maybe we could ask Noah, you know, who brought all the animals, like, what were you thinking when you brought all these animals on the ark? I would want to ask the guy who saw this hard watermelon and cracked into it. I would say, what were you thinking when you ate that? It's a brilliant move. I'm glad you did it, but like, what were you thinking? Sometimes the most helpful thing, the most illuminating thing we could know about an event is what were you thinking when this happened? Now in the Psalms, we actually have the privilege of knowing what King David was thinking in some of these events. Some of the Psalms begin with sort of a historical prologue or a background 
that situates the psalm in David's life. What was David thinking? We can see it right here. It's like a window into his mind. At the beginning of Psalm 54, we see that this is a psalm of David written when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? This event is found in 1 Samuel 23 during Saul's pursuit of David. This is right after Saul has been, or I'm sorry, David has been anointed king. But the, the previous king, Saul, was not too happy about this. Saul pursues David. He tries to kill him over and over. But unsurprisingly, David has to kind of sneak around and hide a little bit. By 1 Samuel 23, David is hiding in the wilderness of Ziph. But the Ziphites, those who lived in the town, would have none of it. They go up to Saul and tell Saul, this is 1 Samuel 23, 19, is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Hakilah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now, come down, O king, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. They didn't just tell Saul, hey, David's around here. They, like, they gave Saul the exact coordinates. They said, here he is. You come here, we'll give him up. We'll surrender him. Well, we know that David knew the Ziphites gave him up. And this is the psalm David writes. This is David's cry out to God. What was David thinking in this situation? David is being pursued by men who hate him. He's been given up. He's been snitched on to the man who wants to kill him. What's David thinking? What's going through his mind? Now, maybe we haven't had a wild man trying to kill us, but there are many reasons that we have to be afraid to mourn. Many of us know what it's like to cry out to the Lord, save me, O God. What are we thinking when we're in trouble? When David is pursued, when it looks like he's at the end of his ropes, this is his cry out to God. He still has joy. He still worships the Lord. How has David moved to joy? Where is the joy for us in this moment? David in Psalm 54 gives us three assurances. David rests on God's past, present, and future faithfulness. David rests on God's past faithfulness, the first thing he does. David opens up the psalm and says, Oh God, save me by your name. Vindicate me by your might. I love this sort of parallel between God's name and God's might. These two are so closely tied. They're synonyms. We can see a good example of this uh, when the Lord gives Moses the Ten Commandments. See, the Lord gives Moses these commandments, these laws, and before he does, he says to Moses, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then the third commandment says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord says, I am the one who delivers Israel. I've brought Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. God is powerful. And then he says, be careful how you use my name. How you talk about my name, be careful. It's because God and his name are closely tied. There's this literary device that's occasionally used called aptronym. You see, aptronym is when a character's name actually reveals something about that person. We see this from time to time. John Bunyan in The Pilgrim's Progress named one of his characters Mr. Talkative. Well, we know that he talks a lot, right? That's kind of his thing. Any Harry Potter fans in here? Uh, one of the villains in Harry Potter, this is more subtle, but his name is Draco Malfoy. 
Maybe you've already thought of this, but Draco was the name of a, a Greek, like, tyrannical ruler, and Malfoy is Latin for evil action or something close to that. You see, his very name tells us that he's a bad guy. What about this one? I like this one. Uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. You guys ever thought of that? I'm willing to bet that Pastor George has never used SpongeBob in a sermon before. But think about it, right? He's a sponge, and the dude wears square pants. It's actually, it's all in the name. It's pretty helpful. His name tells us who he is. You see, there's something in the name of the Lord that reveals to us who he is. God's very character is revealed in his name. He reveals his faithfulness to his people. David uses three different titles for God. In verse one, he says, save me, O God. Later, he says, the Lord upholds my life. These are both kind of generic terms that mean God in the Hebrew. At the end of verse six, though, he uses something different. He says, I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. That time, David uses the personal name of God, the covenant name revealed to Moses in the burning bush. He says, I will give thanks to your name, O Yahweh, for it is good. From the bush in Exodus 3, the Lord calls Moses and says, go and free my people from the rule of Pharaoh. And Moses is hesitant. Eventually he says, okay, if I'm going to do this, who should I say sent me? Who's telling me to do this? And the Lord says, tell him, I am sent you. Tell him, Yahweh sent you, the one who was and who is and who is to come, the one who is unchanging. This is God's covenant name to his people. I am. When David uses this covenant name, Yahweh, it's not an accident. He says, save me, O God, by your name. What is this name? It's Yahweh, the God of his ancestors. Yahweh who brought Israel out of slavery. Yahweh who delivered his people. Yahweh who defeated nations and raised up rulers. This is who David cries out to. He's calling out to the judge, the lawgiver, the king, the savior of Israel. He says, save me by your name, O Yahweh. There's something in this very name that's encouraging to God's people. When the Lord tells Moses he is I am, he reveals his steadfast love. It's right there in the name. One pastor, Everett Develde, says this, by his name Yahweh, the true and living God, revealed that he exists for the sovereign redemption of his people throughout history. Yahweh, the God of David's fathers, is faithful. David looks back on this. The Lord has a perfect track record of faithfulness. Time and again, he has delivered his people, provided for his people. He has not turned his back on Israel. God cries out, I'm sorry, David cries out, save me by your name, because the Lord's very name is evidence that the Lord will save his people and will deliver his people. The Lord's name is powerful. It's, it's a synonym with who he is. Yahweh saves. David says this in verse four, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. See, there's almost like this building block idea of confidence in the psalm. First, David establishes his base. He looks back on the Lord's past faithfulness. From there, he moves to his current reality. The Lord is his helper. This is our second point today. 
David recognizes God's present faithfulness. David recognizes God's present faithfulness. The Lord is faithful to sustain us, to uphold us, to uphold all life. The word here for uphold in the Bible, it's often used with someone's hands. A person upholds something in his or her hands. Maybe this calls to mind the old song. I won't sing it, but he's got the whole world in his hands, right? You think of that? At times, though, it's much easier to say this than it is to believe, right? It's easy to teach our kids this song. He's got the whole world in his hands. But it's much harder to feel that when it feels like your world is crumbling around you. When you lose a loved one, when you receive a gut-wrenching diagnosis, when you find yourself out of a job, when your so-called friends turn their backs on you, they leave you. When my wife and I had our daughter Peyton, we immediately got what I consider to be two pieces of bad news. Right when Emily had the baby as we're holding this girl, the nurses all say, like, like together, they said, oh, well, she looks just like dad. <laughs> I never really understood that. What, is that. what does that mean, right? Are you saying this beautiful baby girl looks like a grown man? How am I supposed to take that? <laughs> but then the doctor came in and he said, hey, we want to... We want to take Peyton up to the NICU. There's something abnormal about her heartbeat. We want to run some tests. And these tests reveal that Peyton has a hole in her heart, a VSD. The doctor tells us, prepare for open heart surgery before she's six months old. And the air just like left the room. Now to, uh, to finish that story a little bit, by God's grace and because of the medicine she's taking, we've actually been able to postpone the surgery. We're we're hopeful that she'll never have to have it, but it's hard to say that God's got the whole world in his hands in that moment. I don't even pretend to know the kind of suffering that some of you are going through or some of you have gone through, but I know it's hard to say God's got the whole world in his hands. It's a lot easier to say, why me? Why is this evil thing happening to me? When tragedy strikes, we may cry out, where is God in this? A Jewish rabbi named Harold Kushner asked himself the same thing. He wrote a book about it called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. His son had just tragically passed away from a rare genetic disease, and he wrote this book. This book was a bestseller for years and years. It sold millions of copies. Maybe some of you have even seen it. Here's what Rabbi Kushner concluded in his book. God loves you. He's all loving, but God is not all-powerful. He cannot intervene. He really wishes that these bad things weren't happening to you, but he can't really do anything about it. Now, is that actually good news for anyone? Is that comforting to any of you? When bad things happen to good people, Rabbi Kushner says God can only offer his love. This actually isn't comforting at all. This is not encouraging. If we worship a powerless God, we're out of luck. But that's not what David says. Evil and wicked men are on his heels. They're after him. But he still says, God is the upholder of my life, of all life. We may never know the exact details or why bad things happen to us. We don't know God's ultimate and perfect plan. But we rest in God's present faithfulness. We can look back and see that the Lord has always been faithful we can look today and see the way God upholds all life 
his present faithfulness. He is all-powerful, all-loving, and perfectly faithful. This psalm gives us room to mourn. It gives us room to cry out to God, save me, O God. We can wrestle with God, but we cry out to God knowing that he is the upholder of all life. Now, tonally, this psalm can feel kind of like a sharp pivot, right? David says, save me. These men are at my heels. And at the end, he switches and he says, thank you, God, for delivering me. How does David get the confidence to do this? The men are still on his heels. Saul is still trying to kill him. Why does he shift like this? Well, David finds ultimate comfort when he's afraid and mourning because of our third point today. David relies on God's future faithfulness. David relies on God's future faithfulness. How can David end this psalm by giving thanks to the Lord? Don't forget, he's still in trouble. The men are still after him. He didn't know the outcome of his current situation, but verse seven, he says, thank you, Lord, for delivering me from every trouble. Where is that coming from? That's a bold thing to say, right? I made one of these bold moves not not so long ago. My wife and I had just cooked dinner and we ate it and I kind of put two hands on the table. I said, oh, thank you so much, Emily, for cleaning up all the dishes. These dishes are still right in front of us, right? This is a rookie spouse move. Some of you guys in here are veterans. You know better than to do this. But David has the nerve to say, thank you, Lord, for delivering me while he's still in trouble. It's because David relies on God's future faithfulness. This is like David's building blocks of confidence, right? The base is God has always been faithful. The the next level is that God upholds all life today. And this this is kind of the pinnacle of this building block is that God will be faithful. Because Because David's salvation is built on God's future faithfulness, he knows it's a done deal. He can talk about it like it's already happened. It's so sure. He can be so confident. Though David was not yet delivered, he knew that he had true deliverance in the name of the Lord. He cries out to God, asking for deliverance by God's name. And he's sure he will get it. He doesn't just thank God for deliverance, but he actually offers up a free will offering. You see, Old Testament Israel, they had to offer up all kinds of sacrifices, some of obligation, right? Sin offerings or purification offerings or ritual offerings. But this one's different. He says, I will offer up a sacrifice, a free will offering. This is a sacrifice made without any obligation. It's purely made out of joy and thanksgiving. David knows that he worships Yahweh, the deliverer, the upholder of all life, and out of joy, he offers up a sacrifice of praise to God. David freely makes this sacrifice of praise because he knows to whom he belongs. He is part of God's chosen people. He says, I belong to Yahweh. Because of the Lord's very name, David knows that there is deliverance for God's people. Yahweh is faithful, steadfast, long-suffering, patient, slow to anger, and he will save his people. David can thank God with such certainty, it's like it's already happened. David trusted that salvation comes in the name of the Lord. 
and Yahweh is faithful. Though David didn't ultimately know all the details, he trusted that God would deliver him from his enemies. Whether or not he knew it, David was speaking of a greater deliverance than Saul and these men trying to kill him. David waits for another to come. The one that would come after David, who would secure David's deliverance, not from evil men, but from sin and death. This one was without sin. He lived a perfect life. His name is Jesus Christ. This man, Jesus, he knows what it's like to be pursued by angry men. He knows what it's like that people want to kill him. John 8 tells of this time when these angry Jews find Jesus in the corner and they say, how can you say that the one who believes in you will not see death? And how can you say you've seen Abraham? But Jesus says to them, this is John 8, 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. Yahweh. Jesus came in the name of the Lord because he is the Lord. Jesus was pursued by men who sought his life. And these men actually got what they wanted. They killed Jesus. They found him and they killed him. Jesus knows what it's like to be swallowed up in death. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus was raised from the grave, defeating sin and death. Jesus has given God's people victory over the ultimate enemy. This victory is not just secure for David. Romans 10 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved from sin and death, from the ultimate enemies. Now today as we read this psalm, our perspective is slightly different from David's, right? David looks forward to the coming of Christ, but we actually have the benefit of looking back on the cross and on Jesus' work and on the empty tomb. The Lord promised to deliver his people, and in Jesus he has been faithful to that promise. God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we may be right with God. We have the benefit of seeing Christ's work in history. It's already happened. Though our perspective is different, we trust in the same God. We remember God's past faithfulness. God has not forgotten his people. He continually provided for Israel and for the church. The perfect example of this is when God sent Jesus to die for our sins and he raised Jesus up from the dead. We recognize God's present faithfulness. God is powerful. He upholds all life. He actually hears our prayers. What an amazing thing. Finally, we rely on God's future faithfulness. When the Lord will make all things new, when our sorrows will be no more, all pain and hurt will be brought to an end. We will be with the Lord for eternity. We await this day because God tells us he will do these things and God is perfectly faithful. And because of Christ's work, we who put our faith in Jesus will receive these benefits. Church family, if you're here this morning and you feel the sorrow is too much, the pain is too much to bear, like David, this evil is hot on your tracks and you don't feel like you can get away, may the psalm be an encouragement to you. Mourn, cry out to God, save me, O God. 
but be encouraged that our ultimate deliverance has been won. Look to Jesus. The Lord is on your side. We worship a God who is alive, powerful, and who cares. By his very name, we know that he is for the ultimate redemption of his people. Remember the faithfulness of the Lord. Bask in his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you have been faithful. We thank you that you currently uphold all things. And we thank you that you will be faithful and that we will be with you for eternity. God, I pray that you would be with your people, Lord. Comfort us. Comfort us that you are with us. You will not leave us or forsake us and that you are good and you uphold all things. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.